Good morning, and thank you for enjoying it with a six-pack, the Scotty Six-Pack, the only podcast bringing you all there is to know in Wisconsin sports six days a week. I'm your host, Kedrick Stumbris, and you can follow me on the website, formerly known as Twitter, at Kedrick Stumbris, and follow the podcast at Scotty Six-Pack for the latest updates in Wisconsin sports. While you are here, if you could leave a nice review, five stars, kind comments, helps other people find the show wherever you are listening to this podcast, including on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Scotty six pack. And today we are going to preview this Wisconsin matchup against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. We have an excellent guest to help us do that. It is Aaron Brightman of the Scarlet faithful. We'll bring in now to the show, Aaron, a Rutgers grad, a, a Scarlet faithful himself. Thank you so much for joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me and uh, certainly an intriguing matchup, I think, uh, for both teams. And uh, yeah, excited to talk about it. Um, I think so, too. And I think that this Rutgers program as a as a college basketball fan is a program that I think about as one of the more intriguing programs in the country right now. Obviously, you have it possessing one of the worst offenses in the country, but also one of the best defenses in the country. And then next year it's bringing in a top three recruiting class in the country with two five stars, not just two five-star recruits, but two of the top three rated prospects in the class. Um, how, how weird is that for, for you to hear somebody say that about Rutgers <laughs> basketball is that they are fascinated by Rutgers basketball right now. Yeah, no, for sure. It is, uh, it's definitely a, a strange place to be in. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a long, uh, journey, uh, Rutgers when, I mean, Steve Peichel took over, uh, eight years ago, they were, I mean, it's not even arguable. They, they were the worst power five high major program in the country. Uh, their Ken Palm, uh, the 2015, 2016 season, uh, was 279. Uh, they were just in a, really bad place uh you know before eddie jordan took over the program they had scandal upon scandal upon scandal every every coach they had had some type of demise in terms of leaving uh so really for about a you know 30 year period it was a really rough go of it and uh, steve peichel is just kind of brick by brick slowly but surely built um a uh, sustainable culture uh, a winning program um, it's, it's in a little bit of an influx right now, just because the, all the changes in college basketball, uh, with the portal, with NIL, you know, he, he's very much a developer. Um, and you know, we saw the, 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 the height of this run so far with Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. And Caleb McConnell and the, the player development that those guys, um, you know, how they ascended, uh, into the success that they led the program to is really remarkable and, uh, made it almost more satisfying, uh, because it wasn't that he was bringing in all these top recruits. They really just had a chip on their shoulder and were able to uh, raise the level of this program quite a bit. And now you see the flip side of that uh, with the recruiting, um, you know, elevated to a point where uh, it's at a level none of us expected it to be. Um, so it's, it's certainly exciting, but this has been a unique year as well because, um, you know, you had also, I don't think any program, I know I'm biased, but I don't think any program was hit harder in the offseason uh, in terms of attrition through the portal uh, with the late departures of Cam Spencer and uh, Paul Mulcahy. Uh, the roster was essentially set at that point. There were post-grad players that left after uh, the, the undergrad deadline and then the NBA deadline. So they were really handicapped in how they could replace them. And I think that's been 
a root cause for some of the early struggles this season. Uh, some of the guys they did bring in are coming off of season-ending injuries last year. Uh, Mawat Mag, one of the best players, uh, obviously, last season for Rutgers, had that torn ACL in February. He, he got back into the action early December. They just had Jeremiah Williams finally uh, eligible after um, the two-time transfer rule went away and then the, the gambling situation. So it's it's just been a literally they've had one game all year, and that was the Michigan game last weekend where they had the entire roster available. So um, it, it, I think that's been a big reason for it. But uh, there's also, I think, uh, real hope now that they can build some momentum with, with how the roster is constructed and how the, the rotation has been kind of developed in the last, uh, you know, couple weeks yeah and let's let's dig into one of those players you mentioned at the very end there which is jeremiah williams who comes comes into this Rutgers roster now you know he spent one season last year at iowa state which i mean in hindsight is probably a decision that he regrets unfortunately for him has just the worst year you could possibly have in Ames with a season-ending injury gets caught up in an underage gambling scandal as part of that whole investigation to the University of Iowa and Iowa State athletes. But now that's all cleared up. He's cleared to play. And he has been someone who is bringing a little extra juice to this Rutgers offense, which we started the conversation saying has not been that great. But he has double-digit scoring in his two games in a Scarlet Knights uniform so far. So, you know, is is Jeremiah Williams the cure? What what can he bring for this Rutgers offense that is different than what we've seen in the first three months of the season. Yeah. He's been a total game changer. Uh, I, you know, I had heard and been told by, by quite a few people within the program that, you know, they, they really had high hopes for him and, you know, he was able to practice throughout. So that was the positive. Um, and I actually think, the whole mental part of it, just for the team as a whole, when you're practicing with a player that you know is going to make you better and you can't play in games, I, I do wonder how much of a grind that took mentally on, on the entire team. Um, and then now that he's back now, you just see the impact he has on the floor. He's a veteran guard. Uh, when he was at Temple two years ago, he had a top 100 assist rate in the country. Uh, he, you know, He's an unselfish player, but he really – you know, a big struggle, I think, for this team has been they haven't had a, a true point guard. Uh, Derek Simpson, you know, has filled that role at times. Um, but I think he's more natural off the ball as a, as a, a two guard. And um, he's played with a lot more confidence now that Jeremiah has been there. And he just he's someone that with the ball in his hands, he gives you confidence. He plays with composure. He has poise. Uh, you know, he has the ability to get downhill now and um, create shots either for himself near the rim or. Uh, for his teammates, it's really helped Cliff Amore in the last couple games, just in terms of getting easier baskets um, on the move in open space. Uh, he, you know, defensively, he can defend multiple positions. Uh, yeah, at one point, he blitzed uh, Jameer Young uh, on, a, on a double uh, late in the game to get a breakaway. Uh, transition layup, uh, you know, he's uh, had a, an offensive rebound where he, you know, his athleticism was, I don't think anybody else other than Cliff could have done that move uh, on the team. So he just brings them a lot. Uh, but more than anything, I think it's his confidence. And also he, he's he's so happy to be back uh, on the court in games. It's, mm. it's almost been infectious to this team. You know, they were playing so tight, so tense. Uh, they've obviously been shooting terribly all year. And I think he just, everybody kind of relaxed. Michael's been able to, I think, tighten the rotation to where he always kind of wanted it to be. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's just helped across the board. And, and, and yeah, the last two games to win back-to-back -back road games, 
uh, has obviously been a huge boost for this program and this team. And there's there's real hope now that maybe they can really get back into the thick of it. Uh, NCAA tournament hopes are obviously way out there still. But um, even if they could just climb into respectability in the middle of the pack at the conference, um, I, I honestly do feel like it's realistic now, especially the first half of the schedule was front-loaded in the Big Ten, and this uh, second half definitely is, is more manageable. Not that any league game is, is easy in this conference. Uh, no, it's not. But one, one other player who's shown himself, you know, year over year to be one of the best in, in the big 10 is Clifford Amore, uh, Rutgers starting center. He was just named either uh, a day or two ago to the Naismith award watch list for the nation's best defensive player, uh, coming off an all big 10 defensive team year already. Clifford Amore does so much well. And as, as a, a consumer of the whole hog of college basketball. I'm, I'm wearing a uh, University of Texas Rio Grande Valley hat right now. For uh, I I love me some college basketball. Clifford Amore is one of the most unsung great players uh, in, in the sport right now, in my opinion. And you know he he blocks the he has a ridiculous near, either nearly or is just clearing three blocks a game as one of the best block rates in the country according to Ken Palm. What? I mean, like beyond his individual accolades, what does he bring to this team that is so special? And and what, if anything, does he do to elevate the rest of this Rutgers defense? Yeah, he's he's been fun to have. He was actually, uh, it, it feels like a, a long time ago now, but he was the highest rated recruit that yeah. Michael brought in for, for a long time. Um, and uh, he's another kind of example of, of developing, even though he was, a, you know, a, a four-star top, top 50 recruit. He was pretty raw when he got to Rutgers. He hasn't played basketball that long. He didn't start until his teen years. Uh, he was a soccer player previously. So, um, you know, he's still uh, offensively, he, things don't really come naturally to him. Um, but uh, he, he's so gifted uh, athletically um, and uh, he's been so coachable. Uh, but it's, you know, his his ability to change the game on the defensive end is, has really been so impactful for this team. Uh, and when he plays with an edge, he's, you know, it's and I, I've spoken to him many times. He, he's so nice uh, off the court. He's you know a great student. It's almost like he he he's not as mean as he needs to be sometimes on the court. <laughs> but when you see him feeling it and having that swagger, uh, for example, the Seton Hall game, he had seven blocks and he was he was. He was uh, pretty talkative and just fired up in that game. When he plays with a certain edge, um, you know that that teams are going to have an, a tough night uh, on the offensive end. And um, yeah, his presence as a rim defender uh, and, and just as a, as a rebounder has been such a, a luxury for this program for a few years now. And um, you know, he's he's best in space on offense when they can get him uh, rolling off a, off a screen. Uh, when they can get him open in transition or, uh, you know, Jeremiah Williams and, and Simpson have been really good at trying to penetrate and kind of dump off to him where, uh, you know, opponents collapse on them with the ball. That's that he, he just he's much better when uh, you can't contain him when he's on the move uh, where mm -hmm. he's, you know, down on the block, posting up. He's really not uh, comfortable doing that. He's not the best passer off the double teams. So that's how teams like to approach him. But Rutgers has kind of changed that approach now. And uh, he's been much more aggressive and confident on the offensive end as well. So I, I think he's at the level now where we all hoped he would be this season. Just had a little bit of a, an adjustment this year, especially too without Mulcahy and Spencer who were so good at getting him the ball in good positions. Mm -hmm. I think it's been an adjustment for this team and just learning these players, learning how to get him the ball in the right spots. 
Yeah, I think that he, he'll be an excellent matchup for Stephen Crowell, Wisconsin's starting center in this game. It's uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Amore is not listed as having more weight than Stephen Crowell is, but he he's had he's five inches shorter. Um, but Crowell seems to always have issue with these like bigger centers. These guys who have more muscle on them than Crowell does. He, he Crowell's more of a leaner guy, and uh, I think it could be a matchup that. Rutgers might be able to take advantage of here, uh, especially considering Stephen Crowell hasn't had the best three-game stretch of late. But when we're, we're moving around the court, I, I, one of the things that I noticed when watching Rutgers, I actually was able to sit down and watch. I haven't watched a ton of Rutgers this year, but I was able to sit down and watch that entire Rutgers-Maryland game earlier this week. One of the first things I notice is that every player, when Rutgers is on defense, seems to really be giving 100%. They bring energy to every possession there on defense. And I want to know who you think Rutgers best on ball defender is because I have my own opinion of this. And I, I but I think it's hard to choose from here because I think it is it a, a big part of figuring this matchup out and who might be, you know, tasked with defending an AJ store one-on-one throughout the game, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one thing Pico loves to do is uh, he likes to take the best player out of the game, and he does that usually with a combination of players. Um, you know, the guards have been good. The, the big difference with this Rutgers team from years past is uh, they're smaller uh, uh, on the perimeter, uh, which Michael Davis, the freshman, he's 6'1". Noah Fernandes is just 5'11". Uh, but, you know, Derek Simpson is 6'3", but he's a little slight. Uh, Austin Williams is a guy that he's hurt right now. I don't think he's going to play in this game, but six, four, a little bit more physical. They needed that. Now, Jeremiah Williams is six, five and, and that and more. Uh, so mm. they have the combination of being able to switch on different guys, but, but Jermichael Davis on ball on the perimeter has been really, really good. Um, as a true freshman, uh, his steal rate, but also just his disruptiveness. And uh, he's, he's almost like a gnat. I mean, he's so quick on his feet and, uh, fundamentally sound. Uh, in terms of uh, just getting through screens and just staying, keeping his man in front of him. I would say overall the best defender without a doubt to me, even over Cliff is Moat Mag, uh, just what he brings them in so many different dimensions. Uh, He's just such an uh, intuitive defensive player. It's like, um, you know, and Kevin Willard even said this after the game and I, I clipped the, the comment that he made about both Jeremiah and, and Mawat, but he said that Mawat Mag is the best defensive player he's seen in college basketball in many years. And, mm-hmm. and a big part of it is he just, he knows where to be on the floor and his help side defense is like unparalleled in terms of you just turn around and someone gets beat and he's there. Um, so it, it doesn't answer your question specifically in terms of on no. ball. I, I would say, uh, you know, Jermichael Davis and I think now Jeremiah Williams as well, those two, uh, although Simpson has improved, but overall, in terms of the impact of what they mean to the Rutgers defense, I think what Moat Mag does is no, no one else can really do um, and has uh, really stepped up and uh, since it, as he's kind of gotten the rust off uh, from his injury and can make up a lot of ground and, and make up for mistakes that other players might make, even in, in being maybe overly aggressive in how they defend. Yeah, when I think about this question, my, my head also went right to Moat Mag. Uh, I if you, if anybody has not watched the final possession of the Rutgers Maryland game played earlier this week, I implore you to go watch it because that Rutgers defense was just suffocating, did not allow the Terrapins to get anything close to a quality shot off. And 
Mawat Meg is just running all over. I don't remember who he was defending. Maybe it was Jameer Young. Maybe it was somebody else, but just is not allowing a guy to get by him. He, he is squared up and, and with his man the whole way. Mawat Meg is one of the most I- impressive pieces on this team. And I, I think he's going to be super fun to watch play at Wisconsin this week. Um, when we're talking about some of these other pieces on the roster, I think one of the things I look at for this Rutgers team is how long of a bench rotation they've had this season. Wisconsin has some depth at certain positions. They're deep on the wing, but not necessarily deep in the front court. Their bench has been challenged in the depth at the point guard position so far this year. But Rutgers has the 50 has played the 57th most bench minutes this season, according to Ken Palm. That long rotation, I assume, is probably in part because of some of these facts that you, you talk about Rutgers hasn't had its full complement of players basically all season. Um, but how has this longer rotation been affecting Steve Peichel's you know, plans in game? How is it affecting Rutgers' performance throughout games throughout the season so far this year? Yeah, I think it's been a struggle. I think that he's tried to find certain combinations. I think that he's uh, hoped that certain players would assume certain roles that, to be honest, never really uh, happened uh, in some degrees. And, um, you know, he also has a way of keeping players invested, you know, by giving them sometimes a run that maybe you look at it like, why, why, why is he doing this right now? But I, I get his long-term strategy. And I think a lot of it, like you said, had to do with the uncertainty of statuses of certain players. You know, they didn't know if Jeremiah Williams was ever going to be able to play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when Mawat was injured, you know, they, they had a, a pretty deep rotation. He, he typically likes to play a longer rotation in non-conference play and kind of feel things out. But I think it also was disruptive at times in terms of the flow. The Michigan State game was a great example at Michigan State. Um, the starters got them back into it there. I think they were, they were down one or two possessions with about 13, 14 minutes to play. And he uh, brought in three bench players and they completely fell apart. Uh, and that, that was all she wrote. I think it was like an 18 to two run or something terrible. So um, th- th- there've been complaints from the fan base in terms of hockey substitutions and such like that. But um, it's also been a noticeable difference since Jeremiah has been back is that he's, he's tightened up the rotation uh, pretty tightly. Uh, the, the starting lineup has changed a little bit. Andre Hyatt has been starting all season and, and I would argue has been their most consistent player. He's now coming off the bench, which I do think is a better, more natural spot for him as the sixth man. I thought last year at times he was one of the best six men in the conference. And, um, I think to have him as your sixth man just shows, you know, better depth. Uh, and, uh, and then Gavin Griffiths, a uh, high profile freshman that has struggled, uh, for the majority of the season, um, but he's starting to come around a little bit. Uh, he He's playing uh, the seventh most minutes. Those guys are both playing around 20 minutes a game. The starters are inching towards 30 minutes um, where you're not seeing, you know, 10 guys play double digit minutes anymore, at least in the last two games. And I think that's intentional with what he has now uh, at his disposal with the roster. He's starting three guards playing, uh, you know, in terms of Derek Simpson, Jeremiah Williams, and, and Jermichael Davis, I think, that's uh, I, I think what we're seeing now is his vision of what this roster could be uh, and finally has the opportunity to do that. So um, he, he has a history of playing a longer rotation, but I think uh, being crunch time and where this team is positioned, uh, he's he's made a very conscious change after the Penn State loss two games ago. 
you know, it was the worst performance this season. He said he was going to reevaluate everything, and he certainly has. And you see that in how he's executed the rotations since then. Well, let's let's talk about crunch time in in this game as as Rutgers goes into crunch time this season, as you say. I I imagine with the slow pace at which Wisconsin plays on offense, the the tough presence that Rutgers plays with on defense. I imagine this one's going to come down to the wire. And if it does, Rutgers is going to come out of this game on top. If what happens? Well, when they have a lead down the stretch, they've been, you know, they have not been a great free throw shooting team this season, but a lot of that has to do with who's at the line and they're Mm. able to control things better down the stretch when they have a lead. Derek Simpson is their best free throw shooter. He's, you know, 85% plus right now. Uh, Noah Fernandes gets subbed in, you know, in those situations. He's an 80% free throw shooter. Andre Hyatt has been, you know, 75%-ish. So having those guys on the floor down the stretch, they've really come through when they've had a a tight lead. And then even Moat Mag against uh, Maryland uh, this week, uh, Simpson uh, wrongly passed out of a triple team. He should have just held the ball and taken the foul. We pass it to Mawat, uh, but Mawat, to his credit, came through and hit both free throws. And he's he's solid for he's around seventy percent. So um, you know the big guys on on Rutgers and a couple of the freshmen have not been good from the line. But uh, mm-hmm. when you put the ball in the hands of your your best players down the stretch, they've come through from the foul line. I think now with Jeremiah Williams, if, if Rutgers has a lead. They're going to attack. Uh, Their spacing's been a lot better with Jeremiah Williams now. And between Simpson and Williams, they almost alternate uh, drives uh, in terms of get it, finding the gap and getting to the rim and either, you know, getting the shot close to the rim or trying to find Cliff on a dump off. Uh, I think that's been their strategy. Uh, They've run into trouble all season with mid range jumpers and they've, they've shot two point percentage. They were uh, actually, in the Ken Palm era, they were tracking there for a while before, like maybe three games ago, as the worst two-point shooting team in Big Ten play in the Ken Palm era. They were like 38%. Now they're up to like 41%. Uh, but, you know, they shot 50% from the floor against Maryland in the second half, which is a very good defense. So it gives a little bit of hope. They are taking better shots now with Williams in the fold. So, uh, yeah, I think that um, if, if it's a close game, if they have a one-possession lead, I like their chances, especially with that rack crowd. The biggest thing for Rutgers is that they've 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 had really slow starts, and that's mm. hurt. They, they, they've that's negated the rack crowd at times too. So they, they typically come back in the second half, but not needing to have such a uh, effort uh, given to make that double digit comeback will be huge in this game if they can just you know trade baskets for a while, keep it within five or six points. I really like their ability to take over the game in the second half with their defense that tends to wear teams down. Uh, and, and as you know, the rack is pretty crazy, but I think, uh, get, getting the, the right guys at the line late in the game is going to be huge. It's a, uh, it's, it's funny that you talk about wanting to just get through the first few minutes trading baskets in this game because Tyler wall, Wisconsin starting power forward. He was asked after the Michigan game about how he thought the team started. And he specifically said, we need to start better than just allowing teams to trade the first few baskets with us was what he said. We can't <laughs> let teams believe that they can keep up with us. Um, I just thought that was a very great answer. Inter- yeah. Interesting that you, you went right to that when, when Tyler wall went a very similar direction, talking about how Wisconsin needs to start uh, out a little bit better and not let, t- not just trade baskets with teams. Um, but the, the other point you made about shot selection is also one that I think Wisconsin has had some struggles with so far this year. And 
uh, I think is part of the way Wisconsin wins this game. Um, I think Wisconsin wants to play this game through the paint. If they can go at Clifford Amori and, and try to, you know, get him into foul trouble. He's not Amori's not like a Zach Eady where Zach Eady just also never fouls or at least never gets called for fouls. Uh, Amori can, you know, draw some, get some fouls committed from time to time. If Wisconsin comes out strong, I think they're going to have a better chance in this one trying to play through. And like you said, the free, the free throw advantage really does go Wisconsin's way. There was a while this season that Wisconsin was averaging more made free throws than, uh, teams were averaging free throw attempts against don't, them. Don't yeah. Tell me that. I don't <laughs> <laughs> it, it has come back down to earth as Wisconsin has stopped getting to the line as much this season, but if, if they're able to do it, I think Wisconsin has a chance in this game. So I, I guess look for two teams that are just running at the hoop in, in this one. Uh, <laughs> let, let the whistle blow, I guess. Uh, yeah, de- be defending without right. fouling has been really key for Rutgers. Uh, we went, you know, when, when they do get, uh, you know, a, a liberal whistle, uh, they have struggled and, you know, teams get to the bonus, you know, 10, 12 minutes to go in the game. That's, that's mm. a problem against a team like Wisconsin. So certainly is something that I'm concerned about in this game. Uh, you are at home. So hopefully you get a little bit of a, a home whistle, yeah. but, um, yeah, it, uh, obviously they're very physical inside defensively and, and Clifford can be, uh, you know, uh, guilty of that at times in terms of leaving his feet or even just kind of you know, not being as disciplined and maybe having a, a unnecessary foul that uh, is costly. So that, I think that's a huge key in this game is if Wisconsin can get uh, Rutgers in a little bit of foul trouble and, and make them pay from the line. I think that sounds about right. All right, Aaron, I have one last fun question for you before we go. But before we get off of the game here, is there anything else about this matchup that you wanted to talk about? Anything you wish I had asked you uh, as we wrap up here? No, I mean, I'm a big fan of this series. I I enjoy watching Wisconsin. Uh, I feel like this is like as big 10 of a matchup as you can get uh, (laughs) in terms of the style. Uh, And, um, you know, this is just a great opportunity. It's, it's, It's fascinating just the dynamic of the matchup just because of Wisconsin's losing streak, even though they're having a very good year. And Rutgers really left for dead by even their own fans. A lot of people had given up at this point. And then um, to see them kind of inch their way forward, this could really be a a game that changes the dynamic of the season. Uh, They have Northwestern at home after this. Then they go to Minnesota, uh, which a rare place that, you know, they, they seem to be winning all their home games right now. But I know Wisconsin won there. Uh, so, uh, you know, if there's any hope in Rutgers, uh, kind of making a postseason run, they have to have this game. So, uh, it's, it's a huge game for both sides and, uh, I'm just excited to watch it. Yeah. Rutgers won back-to-back games after losing three straight Wisconsin on a three straight losing streak of its own. It feels like a little bit of a turning point either way for, for both teams here. But before we go, Aaron, I want to ask you about this little matrix i i am throwing on the screen here with all right the the big 10 came out with its new scheduling format as the 18 team big 10 will come into existence they're going to stick at 20 games which means every team is going to play 17 games in the season alternating home and away with all 17 teams plus three additional games. It sounds like the conference is going to just rotate through. You play two games a year against every team, like on a six year rolling basis, which feels ridiculous to me. That feels like too many years to go, go through. So instead I'm saying let's preserve some of the regionality of the conference. 
Let's preserve some rivalry within the conference. You're going to play every team in the conference once. Your remaining three games are going to be three permanent Big Ten basketball rivals for Rutgers. And I know some of these East Coast teams don't fit super pretty, but we're going to try our best here. I want to get your opinion on Rutgers, which oh is gone because of this banner. There we go. I'm so sorry. Rutgers is going to play Maryland, Penn State, and Purdue on an annual basis. Rutgers, Maryland feels natural. Rutgers, Penn State. You can throw a little bit of the old A10 vibes in there. Uh, and then and then Purdue, I have as kind of a foil to Indiana going to play Maryland every year as a recreation of that national title game. Uh, what, what what do you think, Aaron? I I I uh, I'm all for the regionality, uh, and, and I love the A10 uh, shout out by you. I'm old enough <laughs> to date myself that I was at the 1989 Atlantic 10 Championship when they beat Penn State to go to the NCAA tournament. Last time you'll ever play on your home court to go to the NCAA tournament earn an automatic berth. So that's a, a little fun tidbit. Uh, but uh, I would say let's switch Purdue with Indiana. <laughs> uh, I yeah, Obviously, <laughs> R- R- Rutgers and Purdue have had uh, a lot of classic games. Rutgers actually, believe it or not, and I know you know this, but had success against Purdue, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've dominated Indiana. And it, honestly, uh, as, as much as fun it is to beat other teams in this conference, there's no other team for Rutgers fans that's more fun right now to beat than Indiana. They've won nine <laughs> of 11. Uh, Indiana fan base was extremely, uh, let's just say, not happy about Rutgers joining the Big Ten. And they were uh, very good at making that known. And uh, there was certainly some bitterness in that rivalry. And uh, to see, well, they, they would be even offended that I called it a rivalry. So uh, for Rutgers, what <laughs> they've true. done uh, since the since the 2018 Big Ten tournament, when they beat him at the Garden, uh, it's been unbelievable. I mean, nine of eleven is just ridiculous. So I would say let's switch that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think probably you'd have to say that's fair if it was Purdue, simply because you know Penn State's been down, although they had a good year last year. Uh, and by the way, Rutgers cannot win at Penn State, other than that last year's ridiculous comeback. They always lose there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I like the idea. One thing that from just ranting here. Michigan State is the last te- is the only team that hasn't played at the rack in the last three seasons. Uh, I don't oh, know how that's interesting. did it. They lost by 30 at the rack in their last game, and he hasn't come back. So they played at the Garden last year. You know, there's a conspiracy theory yeah. that they called the league office. and So I'll throw that in the mix. I, I wish they played them more at, uh, at the rack. But, uh, yeah, I like your grid. It, it makes a lot of sense, and I think um, – I think it makes more sense to play the same three teams, at least maybe not every year, because I I get that that would be, you know, imbalanced. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, I I like the idea of garnering rivalries, uh, you know, and um, I think Maryland for Rutgers is a natural one that Maryland fans don't want to agree on. But, uh, you know, Rutgers had a lot. They've won three in a row now in College Park. So, uh, yeah, I like what you did there. Uh, thanks. I appreciate it. I, I don't think Rutgers is going to be happy with pretty much, or sorry, with Maryland's not going to be happy with pretty much anything. They just don't have any real history playing any of these teams in the conference, right? Like, yeah, it's, true. Uh, oh, well, it is what it is. All right, Aaron, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, if you would like to tell the folks where to find more of your work, a we can, we can wrap it up here. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. It's the Scarlet Faithful podcast. I'm on all you know platforms that we hear podcasts. Also have a YouTube channel, and uh, you know my Twitter is uh, Aaron underscore Brightman. Uh, Instagram Scarlet Faithful, and uh, appreciate having me on. And uh, looking forward to the matchup, and and we'll do it again in Madison in a couple of weeks, I guess. Uh, yeah, we we sure will. Thanks so much, Aaron. I appreciate it. This has been. 
the Scani Six Pack Podcast. I'm your host, Kedrick Stumbrus. You can follow me on the website, formerly known as Twitter, at Kedrick Stumbrus. Follow the podcast at Scani Six Pack for the latest updates in Wisconsin sports. We will talk to you all again very soon as we recap this game. We'll also go live on Spaces at halftime uh, to talk about what's good or maybe what's going poorly for the Badgers. Until then, on Wisconsin.